0: Um, Lucas is a senior VP of strategy at uh, Atomic, um, and and Lucas, just some background on Chris. He's done a little bit of research on you and and uh, learned that you've written a couple of fiction or nonfiction books. I guess they were
1: both fiction and nonfiction. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome.
0: The covers confused me for a second. I was trying to figure out. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm mean, actually I write quite a lot about. Uh, DevOps and I haven't come across Automic yet I have come across um, some of the companies you've been related to but tell me more about Automic and I guess how it f- now fits into the CAE Computer Associates um, kind of big picture
1: yeah um, so Um, let me kind of set the stage by saying that it's not a surprise that you haven't run into Atomic in the DevOps world, because, um, in my opinion, Atomic is not a DevOps company. So, um, I think that DevOps for people that, you know, are actual practitioners of it and not just, uh, trying to write blog articles about it. Uh, anybody who actually knows what DevOps is knows that DevOps came out of developers. Uh, trying to get around operations. And there seems to be this confusion in the in the DevOps um, world where people are starting to uh, forget that and starting to think that DevOps is somehow this merger between development and operations into a wonderful you know collaboration that they now get to work together with with tools that serve them both, which is not true at all. Uh, in fact, I think that um, uh, more than ever operations is being forgotten about, left behind, um, ignored. Um, they're given tools that don't work for them, uh, don't solve their needs. because fundamentally, I think developers and operations, in my opinion, are never going to get along because uh, their core values are very different. They think differently, They care about different things, and they're never going it doesn't matter if you put them in the same team or the same groups. Or you know, create this DevOps name and say, okay, now Dev and Ops are working together, they're, they're not going to because they care about different things. I think fundamentally developers care about features and speed, uh, being able to iterate quickly, and um, operations cares about reliability and robustness, uh, scalability, and, and those things don't, uh, don't get along. Um, usually new features break things and um, to a developer it's like okay that's fine we'll just fix it as it breaks Uh, to operations it's the epitome of a nightmare and so you just can't give operations the same tools that developers are using to to write code uh, which is what's kind of going on right now in the industry there's this push to try to make operations use jenkins and chef and puppet but those tools are not for operations and um, it's not helping anybody to try to force a round peg into a square hole. So I'll pause there. I have much more uh, about how Atomic fits into this picture, but I wanted to set the stage first. Does that sure. make sense and jive with?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, the interesting thing, when I look down the kind of list of what we offer, uh, the top item is some of the more familiar territory, continuous delivery, application release, etc. But then you have other categories like SAP, Oracle, Finance Automation, which I guess would traditionally be more sort of operations type tasks. And it's not something you'd normally see listed under a, in inverted commas, DevOps offering. So I guess that's what you're alluding to, kind of offering automation for other sorts of services as well, not just developer infrastructure.
1: Exactly. Exactly. In, in fact, I think that that's one of the most interesting and underappreciated, underlooked at aspects of the technology cycle right now is that all of this focus has been on developers um, and, and DevOps uh, for at least the last 10 years. Um, and developers have become kind of the kings of technology. Uh, operations has been left behind, and the tools that operations is being told they need to use. Uh, don't actually solve their problems. Uh, and that's kind of why I joined Atomic, is because Atomic has created tools that address a need that is much more prevalent and widespread uh, than, than kind of what the DevOps tools are focusing on. Because at this point, like the DevOps tools out there are pretty well established and they pretty much solve the problems of writing code faster. So there isn't really that much need for new DevOps tools for developers. But as you alluded to, um, there is a need for automating and what I consider leveling up operations. Bringing operations up to the same level that developers have been raised to uh, thanks to DevOps over the last 10 years. I think operations has been left behind and forgotten about. And uh, Atomic is a company that is really focusing on providing the uh, similar benefits to what DevOps, because fundamentally when you think about DevOps, DevOps is all about shortening the application lifecycle. And so that's that's its focus, that's all it cares about. Uh, but it approaches solving that problem from a developer angle.
0: It, it's actually... So oh, if, sorry. Wasn't, go, um, no, go ahead. No, it was actually interesting. I, I can't go into too much detail because it was um, kind of an internal um, interview, for <laughs> not necessarily for public release, but um, I was speaking to someone who works within an operations-type department at a company today that is well known in the sort of DevOps space, and they were talking about exactly this: how they wanted to use their tool for other teams, and specifically for the HR team in this case. Um, and right. Why not? <laughs> and it was and, kind and of the reason
1: why not is well, the reason why not is very straightforward to me. The reason why not is that those tools were built for developers with the developer's concerns in mind. And you can't just repurpose a tool that was built for one kind of person with, with one kind of needs and ha- say everybody else that has different needs and different concerns gets to use it too. Um, uh, and so Atomic comes in and if the focus of Atomic is... Uh, the same as the focus of DevOps. So the focus of DevOps is reducing the application lifecycle, making it faster, easier um, to deploy applications. Uh, But Atomic's tools approach it completely differently because instead of approaching it from the perspective of developers and helping developers write their code and deploy it faster, the Atomic tools solve the same problem from the perspective of operations and um i'm not sure how uh familiar you are with with some of the tools out there i don't know if you're hands-on with with things like jenkins and are very familiar with that is that,
0: is uh, that I mean, i'm, I'm, I'm certainly assume? more familiar with that suite of tools than things like sap and oracle so um i kind of understand the workflows definitely.
1: Good. So uh, that's all you need to understand why it doesn't fit um, and why you can't just uh, take the DevOps tools and apply them other places Um, because uh, they weren't built for that. They were built specifically to make developers' lives easier. The code deployment cycle. So, because they were built with that in mind, like specifically and primarily, uh, you have uh, problems when you're trying to translate that to move workloads uh, into enterprise production uh, uh, deployments. So, for example, if you're taking Jenkins and you want to um, use Jenkins to deploy something uh, into production, you know, if you're a developer and you're just testing something, Jenkins can just, you know, look at the code, check it out from the repository, run the tests, and uh, you know, deploy it. But in production, uh, deployment is not just a simple process. There are multiple stages. Uh, you usually have to, um, you know, uh, update the load balancers. You have to do database migrations. You have to do different stages. Uh, you have to uh, update the application servers. And if it, uh, if the deployment process breaks at any one point in that pipeline, the problem with Jenkins is that Jenkins can only do one, one stage of each of those uh, pieces of the pipeline. So uh, what you would have to end up doing is you have to stitch a bunch of Jenkins. So one Jenkins is for load balancers. One Jenkins is for application servers. One Jenkins is for uh, the database migration. And if it breaks, then it has to roll back one way and one Jenkins. So what you end up with is a patchwork of duct tape together Jenkins installations, which is obviously not what it was intended. You know that, It was not thought out for production operations in mind it was thought out for developers to throw code against the wall and see if it, if the unit test break.
0: Sure. Let, let's, so let's dig into a little bit more detail because there's kind of under the, 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 what we offer on atomic, there's lots and lots of different um, options and solutions. So what actually is it at the moment or will it be? Yes. Yeah.
1: So there, so uh, there are two main products. Uh, from atomic one is a release automation product and one is a workload automation product we have other products but the two major ones are release automation and workload automation and for somebody who is not familiar kind of with a lot of the um, traditional operations space uh, kind of familiar with more developer technologies uh, I can explain workload automation to people like that very easily. Um, if you're not familiar with what workload automation is already, it's basically, uh, are you familiar with crontabs? Yeah,
0: yeah. And, so and the audience will be as a, well, don't worry. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically a mega crontab. So it's a centralized crontab that works across any platform, any operating system, you know, legacy operating systems, uh, make sure that you uh, can run and manage your crontabs across all of your servers uh, in a centralized way and, um, uh, you know, throw out FTP. We have our own proprietary FTP replacement so that you don't have to rely on technologies that fail more often than they work. Uh, you know, if a, if a file is mid-transfer and there's a network blip, uh, it's not going to – we have the ability to resume the file transfers. And so we can deal with uh, all of your servers. And if you're looking at like um, um, point of purchase um, and, and different kind of legacy hardwares, uh, we can we can support it all. And we can automate it all. Uh, and so the workload automation really allows you um, a centralized way uh, and an object-oriented way of managing cron.
0: Can can I connect these various sorts of pipes, as it were? So can a um, so, for example, we have um, a feature here for continuous delivery of packaged apps, and then there's. Um, finance automation, I don't know, is there a way to sort of connect the delivery of a new version of a packaged app with something in another area of the company or is each kind of...
1: Absolutely. Yeah, okay, That's, cool. that's what this is built for because um, the, the, the fundamental aspect of what this is built for is dealing with complex workload um, environments. Um, and remember the... Um, the multi-stage Jenkins problem that I mentioned, with atomic release automation, uh, we built from the ground up an operational-first approach to deploying applications.
0: Okay, so it's where, company perspective instead of the developer kind yeah, of kicking it off. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's it was operational perspective because operations has to be concerned about you know how many app servers do we have? Are they all running? You know, uh, can we afford Making sure that, yeah, Yeah. and uh, and making sure that like, uh, in fact, for the application deployment workflow, you can have all of the Boolean logic for every step within one workflow. So you're not stitching together separate instances of the release automation to get it working. You have one logical workflow for deploying an application start to finish. You can track it. You can see the rollbacks and you can manage uh, uh, the entire process. And it's it's very, very friendly to people who are primarily concerned with what could go wrong.
0: Okay. Um, so, I mean, in, in traditional kind of uh, – traditional form of sort of more enterprise offerings, it's not something anyone can just jump in and, and- – test very easily. So give me a couple of, I can see a, a few clients here that people have probably heard of. Um, any quick kind of use case examples in the real world of what people are doing that you're allowed to share?
1: <laughs> um, so, so this is difficult because I'm, I know lots of them that, uh, that you use every single day. You pretty much can't go a day living without having atomic in your world. But I I don't know which ones I'm allowed to talk to talk about or not. I don't know if um, I don't have my <laughs> authorized marketing Even person the three to tell I me which me, ones I'm allowed see, to talk uh, about.
0: Fender, Warner Brothers and John Deere, which covers a fairly wide gamut of <laughs> of uh, of industries. So
1: yes and we yes we have thousands of customers and they are very name brand you use there's no way you can interact in the world and not use atomic
0: i have to keep this call fairly short because i'm jumping on another one um at half past so just to sort of wrap up um what's what's new what are you kind of wanting to shout about at the moment and what's coming up in the near future
1: yeah um the things we're working on right now um I'm very, very excited because uh, in kind of the tech world right now, artificial intelligence seems to be all the rage, but it seems like everybody's talking about six different kinds of artificial intelligence. You know, (laughs) it seems like, and it's the same ones every time. It's Siri and Alexa. And it's like, it's getting tiring hearing, okay, self-driving cars, you know, and uh, it. uh, I don't know if you've read Kevin Kelly's book, The Inevitable.
0: Um, no, but I have been to lots of AI and chatbot events recently. So I might've come across some other concepts.
1: Well, and chatbots, it seems like it's another one that's like overdone and underdelivered. And it, uh, what Kevin Kelly says, Kevin Kelly is one of the co-founders of Wired magazine. And he wrote a terrific book just, uh, about a year ago called The Inevitable. And what he talks about is that we're also focused on the six, Versions of artificial intelligence that that we know about today, that we lose track of the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of use cases where it's not being applied today.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's it's hard to imagine where artificial intelligence is going to be having great effect that it isn't um, currently. Um, you know, it, Google's not doing it, so nobody's paying attention. And right now, I think one of the biggest areas that is um, underrepresented in artificial intelligence is development and operations.
0: Business intelligence, as it using were. Using artificial
1: guess. intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, using artificial intelligence uh, for running and building technology itself, which should be a game changer.
0: Yeah, but would disturb a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> well,
1: well, so you know, it's. Watson's amazing. And, you know, teaching Watson to be a doctor, awesome. But, you know, what if Watson-like technology was used to help make running computer systems and building computer systems more efficient? Then you could uh, be more efficient at doing, at teaching Watson how to be uh, a doctor. So it's a game changer because it can affect every other version of artificial intelligence.
0: So, I guess that's kind of the, the the company. You personally, I mean, looking at your uh, kind of history, you've written books from Ruby and on Pass. You um, worked for a company that was acquired by CenturyLink, which I was actually on their website earlier today, looking at something else. You've written a few books. You talk a lot, and you also work a lot in the kind of. I'm assuming the from the. Your blog, the software craftsmanship movement. So, um, kind of, what's 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 next for you personally as well, or are you just focusing well, on I'm, atomic I'm, at the moment?
1: Yeah, right now I'm focusing on atomic. I think that there's a huge opportunity in in this space that is under appreciated. I I, I like to go into the early stages of growing trends instead of uh, instead of focusing on kind of You know, everybody is beating their heads on chatbots and containers. (laughs) And that's not interesting. Chatbots and containers aren't interesting to me because everybody else is doing it. I'm interested in what's next. And the growing wave to me is in helping the uh, operations people get the same treatment that developers have had for the last 10 years.